Good morning. Hope everyone's doing all right today. Um, real quick, before I get into the message too much, I just want to say thanks for those of you who have um, been praying for my mom. Yesterday, many of you know, we ended up having to take her to the, to the ER last night. Uh, she was fine about 2.30, as fine as she normally is anyhow. And at four, around 4 o'clock when we were getting ready to have dinner, um, Jacob went in to get her and she didn't come out, so Rachel went in to check on her. And she was unresponsive. Um, basically, she's in a coma. We had to try to load her up in the vehicle, took her to the, to the ER. They admitted her into the CCU last night. Uh, I spoke with the um, doctor right before service this morning, and he said she's alert now, moving her to a regular room today. So praise God. She's still a little confused, doesn't, um, doesn't know the date or um, where she's at and things like that, but she's at least alert and responsive, so that's a good thing. We praise God for that, and we believe in God for a complete and, and quick uh, recovery. Amen? Amen? So this morning, we continue in our series, The Cups of Promise. Last week, we began laying a foundation for this series and really just talking about promises in general. And we, as we talked last week, we talked about the fact that we've all had people in our lives who have broken promises to us, every single one of us. And the fact is, we also have broken promises to others and to ourselves as well. You know, the first part of every year, many people make promises to themselves. They make promises that they know when they make them, they probably have no way of keeping them. They say things like this, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to exercise at least three times a week. Because they, they, don't, they don't go quite usually with every day on that one. Usually it's, I'm going to exercise at least every other day. And they, they'll take the step by purchasing a gym membership because they're committed this year, at least till March. They'll say things like, I'm going to eat better this year. I'm going to quit fill in the blank with whatever habit it is you want to fill that blank in. We do it each and every year. We make these promises of things that we're going to do or things that we're going to give up. How many times have we said things like, I promise I'm done with that. I'm never going to do that again. Can I just tell you that there are some things that you make a promise to do or not to do that the only way that that is ever going to happen is through the grace of God. It's going to require the spirit of a living God indwelt in you. You're never going to be able to do it on your own strength. Over and over again, man has broken promises. But last week, we also talked about the fact that God is not man. We talked about the fact that God, when He makes a promise... You can count on it. His promises never fail. And last week we looked at the definition of promise. And I'll put them up there on the board for you. We talked about it and we said it's a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made a right of expectation. Can I just tell you when man or woman makes a promise, whichever the case may be, normally I would just say man, but I don't want y'all to think that I'm sexist. Women break promises too. Um, whether it's man or woman who makes a promise, the definition should probably look a little different than this. 
Now, when God's talking and God promises, you can take that to the bank. But when man makes a promise, maybe it should look something like this. Instead of a binding declaration, maybe it should be a sort of sticky statement. And with, instead of a right of expectation, maybe it should be uh, with a reasonable thought of expectation. Because that's really the, the truth, isn't it? When, we, when someone makes a promise to us, we're like, yeah, that's kind of maybe that'll happen. Then you have those people in your life where that would be a stretch. And if they make a promise to you, it may look a little more like this. Nothing but hot air with no expectation of the promise coming to pass. And yeah, I know, someone said to me, I put the definition in the definition, but it's not a real definition anyhow, so we're just going to leave it there. But you've got to understand, it's different with God. When He makes a promise, you can count on it. The promise is a guarantee that will, no doubt, come to pass. If you remember from last week, we talked about how we play a, a role in the promises of God. We talked about the fact that His promises are unconditional in the fact that they're available to all people. But they come with conditions. And I gave you some examples last week from the Word of God. For instance, I said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, that's a promise of salvation, but it comes with an if you do this, if you believe, if you confess. You see, the promise of salvation is the first cup or the first promise that we'll be talking about in our series. Last week, we discussed three responsibilities we have when it comes to the promise of God. And I'm just going to go through those real quick this morning. They're up there on the board. You need to know His promises. You know, His promises do you really no good at all if you don't know what they are. Secondly, we need to receive His promise. And as I talked about this last week, I talked about it's not just enough to know what the Word of God says about healing. You've got to receive that healing. And you've got to go beyond that. You've got to walk in that promise. You've got to walk in the promises of God. It's one thing to know that God's Word says healing is available to you. It's another thing to receive that and to walk in it and to declare the promise over your life. When you begin to declare the promises of God over your life, you begin to walk in His promises. We're going to get to some of the specific promises, the four cups, as I began to introduce to you last week. We're going to get into those over these next several weeks. But you need to understand, God didn't just give one promise when He came and He spoke to the Israelite people. In Exodus, we have the story of Him giving us four promises. We talked about it last week. If you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 6 verse number 6 and 7. I'll put it there on the board as well. It says this, it says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. 
If you remember last week, we introduced what these four promises were. The first one is there. It says, I will bring you out. This is the promise of salvation or sanctification. It's the setting apart. The second one that we looked at was this. I will free you. Sounds very similar to the first one, but we understand that this is the promise of deliverance. This is actually something that happens after salvation. Salvation happens very quickly. It didn't take the Israelites very long after that tenth plague that came upon Egypt for them to get out of Egypt. But it took a long time for Egypt to get out of them. That's the process of deliverance that we'll be talking about next week, the second cup. The third promise is this, I will redeem you. It's the promise of redemption. This promise for us today is about discovering our purpose. What did God create me to do? Why am I here on this earth? And finally, I will take you as my own people. This is about the promise of fulfillment. Four promises that God gives to the Israelite people there in Egypt. But before he gave these four promises, hundreds of years before this, God made a promise to the nation of Israel. God made a promise to Abraham. He said to Abraham in Genesis 17, 8, The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. A lasting promise made by God to Abraham and to his descendants. Yet now, several hundred years have passed, and the Israelites found themselves enslaved in Egypt. Not only were they not in the promised land, but they were slaves in a foreign country. To the Israelites, that promise God made to Abraham had all but been forgotten. You see, in life, sometimes God gives us a promise or He places a dream in our hearts. And if we don't see an immediate result, we allow the dream to die. Last week, I talked to you about the, the book Four Cups by Chris Hodges and told you I'd be pulling from that some over the course of this uh, series. And I hope you took the opportunity to pick that book up. In the book, Four Cups, uh, Pastor Chris lists three dream killers. The first one he talks about, write it down if you're taking notes, is this. Unfulfilled expectations. Proverbs 13 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. The Israelites had been in Egypt now for more than 400 years. Do you understand how long that is? Think about this. These people left their homeland, went to Egypt, and now it's 400 years later. Think about it this way. Our country is just a little over 200 years old. The Mayflower landing happened in 1620. We haven't even hit 400 years since that date. Look at what has happened in this country over the last 400 years. 400 years is a long time. More than 400 years the Israelites had been there in Egypt. 
and they had seen their promise not be fulfilled to their expectations. It didn't happen the way that they thought it should. You see, they had an expectation that they should be in the land of Israel. However, it wasn't God's timing. How many of us would say the same? We had a dream, but when it didn't come to pass exactly the way that we expected it to, for some reason, we just gave up. We said things like, I'm too old now. I've allowed too much time to go. We start throwing out excuses one after another of why this dream won't come to pass. Because we put our own expectations upon it and how it should look. God said, this is what I'm going to do, but he didn't tell us exactly how he was going to do it. And when it doesn't happen the way we expect it to happen, we just throw in the towel many times. Friday of this week, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Pigeon Forge um, with my daughter. Her uh, boyfriend, and yes, I'm going to tell a story on him. You see, if you date my daughter, you're going to have to expect that there will be stories told about you in church, right? So anyhow, um, her boyfriend was actually opening for this event in Pigeon Forge. It's called the Jesus Rally. Um, Big Daddy Weave, you may have heard of him, would be the, the guy who was headlining. and he got to open for him. Well, he's 18 years old, and this was a few more people than he's probably ever led worship in front of before. And he gets out there, and during the second song, he forgets the words. Goes blank. Done. Now he ends up finishing up just fine, and, and, it, and it goes okay. But can I just tell you, I promise you, that is not the way he pictured it would have went. I can promise you that he had dreams in his head that he was going to be leading worship someday to a crowd of a thousand or more, and he was going to be out there, and people were going to come down, and they were going to get saved. And I know that's exactly how it had to be pictured in his head. So now he has a choice to make. It didn't... His, his expectations probably weren't met. So his choice now becomes, do I listen to the voices of doubt? Do I listen to the voices that come against me? Or do I stand on the promises of God and that His promises say, my calling is irrevocable? Does He stand on the promise of God that says, I have a plan and a purpose for you? See, when, when things don't happen exactly the way that we expect them to, we've got to make a decision. What are we going to do? Unfulfilled expectations can absolutely kill dreams. The second dream killer is this, unrelenting doubt. I can promise you right now, doubt has crept in. And he's wondering, is this what God has really called me to do? Exodus 6 says this, And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. You see, sometimes life comes against us. We get discouraged and we allow doubt to begin to creep in. Moses came and he told the Israelite people what God had said to them, but the people weren't buying it. You see, the promise that God had given to Abraham hundreds of years before had now become nothing more than a story to them. 
in many minds had become nothing more than a fairy tale. You see, when our dreams aren't fulfilled in the way that we think they should and in the timing that we think they should, we allow doubt to creep in. We start listening to the voice of the enemy. You're always going to be a slave to that addiction. You're always going to be a slave to the flesh. You're never going to be over, able to overcome sin. Those voices start going off in our head and we begin to listen to them. And it begins to kill our dreams. Unfulfilled expectation. Unrelenting doubts. The third dream killer is this. Unchangeable circumstances. You see, after Moses came and he told Pharaoh what God had told him, that same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. He said this, You are no longer to supply the straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. Sometimes when we are in the middle of the struggle, it appears all hope is gone. It seems that our circumstances will never change. Sometimes we just throw in the towel to, and say to life, you're right, I'll just give up. It's never going to change. I might as well just learn to live with it the way it is. You see, that's where the Israelites found themselves. They said to Moses, why did you have to come and rock the boat? Why did you have to upset the apple cart, so to speak? You know, things weren't that bad. I know we were slaves and all that, but now things are worse. Here we have the Israelite people held captive by the Egyptians, forced to make bricks every day. But now things had gotten worse. The Egyptians used to supply the straw, but now they said, you're going to have to go out and gather your own straw up, adding hours to their already long days. It seemed the only change to the circumstance for the Israelite people was a change for the worse. How many of us at some point have been right there? It seems our circumstance aren't going to change. It seems things are as bad as they're going to get. And then, for some reason, they get worse. Life's circumstances can absolutely become dream killers to us. But listen, church. I can tell you this, holding on to a promise of God can defeat a dream killer. Nothing can defeat a dream killer like walking in the promise of God. You see, it's one thing, remember, to know the promise of God. It's a complete other thing to walk in the promise of God. You see, Moses, he came back and he shared how the Israelites weren't listening to him. He comes back to God, and I'm sure when he came to talk to God, it was something like this. God, I told you I couldn't talk. I've got this stuttering problem. I told you it wasn't going to work. Why did you send me out to speak to Pharaoh and to the Israelite people? And, of course, God being God, he doesn't send Moses back now with just one promise. Now he sends Moses back with four promises. These four promises have become known as the I wills of God. The Jewish people celebrate these four promises every year at Passover with four cups. A separate cup representing each single promise that God gave them that day. The Passover feast, you see, is held to celebrate, to commemorate the 
last plague that came upon the people of Egypt, the tenth plague. The Jewish people take, at this time of Passover, they take a matzah cracker or unleavened bread. They take it with wine to remember how quickly they had to leave the land of Egypt, how they had to get out very quickly. In fact, God gives them very specific instructions on how to, to handle this Passover feast in Exodus 12. He says this, And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you, then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. If you remember, this was the final plague that came upon the, the Egyptians. God told them that no household would be spared, not an Israelite household and not an Egyptian household. The death angel would come through the land and visit every single home, killing the firstborn male in every house. But then he said, but I'm going to make a way. He said, I'm going to make a way of escape. I'm going to make a way of salvation. He said to the Jewish people, if you would take the blood of a lamb and you would find this lamb, a spotless lamb, blameless lamb, and you would take this lamb and you would take the blood of this lamb and you would cover your doorposts, the death angel will not bring death upon this house, but it would pass over the home. The blood of a lamb saved the Jewish households 3,500 years ago, and it is the Passover lamb that made a way for the Israelite people to come out of bondage, to come out of the land of Egypt. This is the celebration meal that Jesus was taking on that Thursday night, the night that he was arrested, the night before he was killed. Luke recounts the story this way. He says, and he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was telling his disciples that the Passover lamb was just a foreshadowing of what he was there to do. He was saying, I am the Passover lamb. I am the final sacrifice that will have to be made. You see, the Israelites had been practicing sacrificing animals now for, for 1,500 years since this time that they come out of Egypt. But it was something that they had to continually do over and over again. They had to continually sacrifice these animals because blood had to be shed to cover their sins. And Jesus was saying to them here, what I'm about to do is for once and for all. I'm about to be the final sacrifice. There will no longer need to be a sacrifice of animals. The work I'm about to do on the cross is a lasting work forever. And if you remember Jesus hanging there on the cross, he said these words, it is finished. In making a way for the Israelite people to leave Egypt, God 
was saying, I am setting you aside as my chosen people. I am taking you out of this land of bondage. I am sanctifying you or setting you apart for a specific purpose. And that is the same thing that God says to people today. He's saying, I want to take you out of the land of bondage. I want to take you out of the kingdom of darkness. I'm setting you aside for a specific purpose. I'm calling you into a kingdom of light. 1 Corinthians tells us that Christ is our Passover lamb. He has been sacrificed for us. Over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, you hear Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God. In fact, after baptizing Jesus, the next day John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him and he says this to him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, the Passover lamb there in Egypt, there were some very specific things that God required of it. The first thing was this, the lamb had to be perfect. Exodus 12 tells us exactly this. It says, the animals you choose must be a year old. They must be males without defect, and you may take from them the sheep or the goats. God was saying this, bring your best. He was saying, don't find a lame sheep that's ready to be put down. He's saying, don't bring a leftover. Don't bring me the worthless. He's saying, bring me the perfect lamb, spotless and blameless, because it's in the blood of the spotless lamb that you are going to be saved. It's the blood of this lamb that will allow the death angel to pass over your home. Church, you need to understand Jesus is our Passover lamb. And God sacrificing His firstborn, not only did He save the, the firstborn male of the homes, but God made a way for all humanity that would believe on Him to be saved. First Peter says this, You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Amen. The second thing you need to know is this, the lamb had to be sacrificed. It had to be killed. God said there is a appointed time. You need to find this lamb and you need to take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter the lamb at twilight. God gave a specific appointed time for this to happen. God said this is when it needs to be done. And you need to understand God gave a specific appointed time for our lamb to be slain. That specific time took place on a Friday 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, was slain that we could be saved. You see, it was in the shedding of Christ's blood that a way was made for us to escape our bondage, for us to come out of the land of chains and bondage that we were in. It was in the shedding of His blood that a way was made for us to come out from under sin. It was in His shedding of His blood that, he, that we have been freed from the death angel. You see, the Word says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied this, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. 
and by His wounds we are healed. The Lamb had to be spotless. The Lamb had to be slaughtered. Thirdly, the Lamb had to be shared. Exodus 12 says, If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with one of their nearest neighbors. You see, the fact is, most every household there in, of the Israelites in Egypt was too small to consume an entire lamb on their own. They had to come together with their neighbors and partake of this lamb because the lamb had to be fully consumed. They could not leave any of it until morning. Every bit of it needed to be ate. Same with us. You understand this is a picture of Christ. He must be fully consumed by you. You can't just say, man, I'll just take that piece right there. That piece right there is good for healing. I want some of that. I'll take this piece over here. This piece is good to save me. I want that piece. It don't work that way. You got to take it all. Jesus is the perfect sacrificial lamb, and he must be fully consumed. But here's what else I love. He also must be shared. You see, there's more than enough of this sacrificial lamb to go around. God is saying, you have got to share my son with your neighbors so that they too may be saved. This Passover feast that was celebrated in the Old Testament, every bit of it was pointing towards Christ. You're thinking, well, that's just the Old Testament story. No, every bit of the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what Christ would do. 2 Corinthians tells us God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And He has committed us to the message of reconciliation. The first I will, the first cup, is the cup of sanctification. It's the cup of salvation. It's not the final cup, but you need to understand that first cup, the cup of sanctification, the cup of salvation, that is the most important cup. You see, it's in that cup that you're set apart. It's in drinking that cup that you are saved. You see, the wages of sin are death, but Christ paid the price of death on the cross. So what must you do to drink of the first cup? What do you got to do? The first thing is this. You've got to realize this. He chose you. Jesus said this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Church, it's nothing that we've done. It's nothing that you can do to deserve to be chosen. God looked down in all of His mercy and grace and said, I choose you. He's saying, I am making a way for you to be saved. We've got to stop thinking that we've got to earn this cup, that we somehow have to earn the cup of salvation. We have to realize this cup was given by His choosing. And He says this, Won't you drink? Won't you drink of the cup of salvation? The second thing is this. 
in order to receive the cup of salvation, you've got to repent of your sins. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. When you realize that God chose you and it's not in your doing, that's when you're able to repent. It's in that that you're able to turn from your wicked ways to Him. The perfect Lamb of God was slain so that we might be saved. You've got to ask God. You've got to do your part. And that's in asking God to forgive you, to cover you with the spotless blood of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one and the only true Lamb of God. Finally, you've got to do this. You've got to relinquish control. Jesus said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Church, you've got to completely surrender. Chris Tomlin has a song. It's called White Flag. And the lyrics go like this. The battle rages on as storm and tempest roar. We cannot win this fight inside our rebel hearts. We're laying down our weapons now. The next line says this. We, we raise our white flag. We surrender all to you. All for you. It repeats and then it goes on to say this. Here on this holy ground, you made a way for peace. Laying your body down, you took our rightful place. This freedom song is marching on. Then it repeats, we raise our white flag. Church, that's what we must do. We must relinquish total control. In worship, we raise our hands. The Word tells us, lift up holy hands. When we do this, what we're doing is an act of surrender. We're saying, God, take control. I give it all to you. And if we really want to drink from the next cup, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, the cup of fulfillment, it's got to start with surrendering ourselves at the cup of salvation, the cup of sanctification. We've got to come to a place where you say, God, I raise my white flag. I surrender. We've got to stop trying to get to the second cup, to the cup of deliverance, to the cup of redemption, to the cup of fulfillment without ever coming through the cup of salvation. You see, you're never going to get to the cup of deliverance without coming here. You're going to find yourself battling with things over and over and over again. You're going to find yourself trying to lay down, making that promise every year. I promise I'm going to give this up this year. I promise I'm going to do this. You're never going to be able to do it on your own. It's going to require God. It's going to require you to come to the cup of sanctification. Those other cups are important. The cup of deliverance is special. But you've got to come to the cup of sanctification first. You can't do it without starting here. So what do you do? What do you do to walk in that promise? First thing you've got to do is you've got to know the promise. You've got to stop listening to the dream killers. 
You've got to stop setting your own expectations of how things need to look. And you've got to start looking to God to how His expectations are. You've got to stop listening to that voice of doubt. Church, you've got to start walking in the promises. You've got to stop looking at your circumstances and how bad your circumstances may be. Just take time to start looking at how good your God is. He is so good that he looked down and he said, I choose you. With nothing that you could have done or that you can do, he said, I choose you. That's how much he loves you. God loves us so much. And he says to us today, won't you come and drink from the cup of salvation?